the scripture passages that were read tonight are meant to remind us of just how terribly Jesus was treated in the events leading up to and during his death. First, he was betrayed by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. In exchange for money, Judas told the religious leaders where they could find Jesus. And we have to remember, this is someone who had traveled with Jesus and done ministry with Jesus for three whole years. He had witnessed Jesus performing these incredible miracles that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, doing things like walking on water and raising Lazarus from the dead. He had probably even cast out demons in Jesus' name. He must have been like a brother to Jesus. And yet, he still betrayed him, like those three years meant nothing at all. And then, after Jesus was arrested, one of the disciples that Jesus was closest with, one of the, the three in his inner circle, rejected him. Peter. Remember, Peter was the one disciple who walked on water with Jesus. But he would not walk with Jesus to the cross. When the time came, he did not stand in solidarity with Jesus, but denied that he even knew Jesus three times. So in a brief span of time, Jesus was betrayed by a friend and rejected by an even closer friend. And then after that, he was given this completely unjust hearing before the religious leaders where he was asked a question, he answered honestly, and then he got slapped in the face for it. Can you imagine if someone today was in a courtroom and they were being questioned and they answered honestly and then the judge came down and slapped them across the face? I think if something like that happened and if it was caught on video, it would probably go viral on the internet and everybody would be calling for justice and saying that, you know, that judge has to be thrown out. Uh, but as far as we know, no one cried out on Jesus' behalf. And then the mistreatment escalated. The religious leaders began mocking him. They spat on him. They teased him. They, they blindfolded him and took turns hitting him. And they joked, well, if he's really the Christ, then he should be able to tell which person is hitting him. Prophesy to us, they said. Tell us who hit you. As if the, the pain and humiliation that they were inflicting was some party game like pin the tail on the donkey. And then Jesus experienced the injustice of corrupt politics, the injustice of a political official who is more concerned with keeping the peace than with doing what's right. Pilate was the Roman governor over Judea, and the religious leaders brought Jesus to him because they didn't have the authority to kill Jesus. And they wanted Pilate to exercise his authority to do that. And not only that, but they didn't have the authority to kill Jesus through crucifixion, which was a Roman means of execution. And they really wanted Jesus to be executed through crucifixion because there was a passage in the Old Testament uh, that said that anyone who was hung on a tree was accursed by God. And so they thought, well, if Jesus gets crucified then everyone is going to recognize that he is completely and totally cursed, rejected by God. It would be a complete invalidation of his message. So the religious leaders took Jesus to Pilate. Filled with envy toward Jesus, they begged Pilate uh, to crucify him because they wanted the people to be convinced that God wanted absolutely nothing to do with Jesus or his message. And Pilate couldn't see any good reason to kill Jesus, 
couldn't see any reason to sentence this man to one of the cruelest forms of execution that's ever existed. Uh, but rather than put his foot down and say, no, I refuse, Pilate passively allowed the crowd, allowed the mob, to take control. He thought, I don't want to have an angry mob on my hands, so he let them have what they wanted. Even though what they wanted was cruel, even though what they wanted was unjust, he let it happen because he didn't want any trouble. He didn't want to protect Jesus if it meant bringing any stress into his own life. And so Jesus was sent away to be crucified. And then Jesus experienced the brutality of the Roman executioners who flogged him and mocked him. They had heard that he was known as the king of the Jews, so they pushed a crown of thorns into his head and pretended to pay him homage in between blows. And then after all of that flogging and that beating, he was forced to carry his own cross to his execution, which I've heard would have weighed about 100 pounds. I can't even imagine how anyone would be capable of carrying anything after being beaten like that. And actually, Jesus wasn't able to carry it very long. He became so weak that they had to ask a random passerby named Simon to carry the cross for Jesus. And then, of course, there's the crucifixion itself, uh, where spikes were driven through Jesus' hands and his feet. And crucifixion was an incredibly cruel form of execution because it was both very painful and very slow. Uh, it was actually a, a slow process of suffocation, really, uh, because of the way a person's body would hang on the cross. It made it so that your lungs couldn't take in air. Uh, and they'd slowly fill up with fluid, and as it became harder and harder to breathe, you would instinctively push up with your legs in order to get air into your lungs. But it was futile, because you'd push up, you'd get a little bit of air, but then, of course, you'd just be continuing the pain. Um, so there was really, really no relief, but you couldn't bring yourself to stop instinctually pushing yourself up in order to, to keep getting air. The great Roman orator, uh, Cicero, he said of crucifixion, there is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. And as Jesus suffered this deed that is so horrible it can't even be described, people hurled insults at him, they mocked his claims of authority and power and oneness with God. So let's do a quick review here. In a span of about 24 hours, Jesus experienced betrayal by someone who he had traveled with for three years, rejection by one of his closest friends, a corrupt political system that did nothing to stop injustice, uh, the ancient equivalent of police brutality, mocking and humiliation, and unfathomable physical pain. But on top of all that, he experienced something even worse than that, which is that Jesus felt abandoned by God, abandoned by his Father. So what Steve just read in those remarkable words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We really need to recognize how incredible those words are. Before the world was made, Jesus had existed eternally in a perfect relationship with God the Father. Uh, the opening of John's gospel tells us 
if we can get it up there. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, when John uses that term, the Word there, it's actually a way of referring to Jesus. So it would not be unfair to rephrase this verse as, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, I realize that that sentence might sound like nonsense. right? How can someone be with someone and be someone at the same time? Well, I don't fully understand it, and I don't think anyone fully understands it, to be honest. And yet, that's what the Gospel writer says. He asserts this mystery that Jesus was with God and was God. The only way that I can think to make sense of that is, is to say something like, well, God is a perfect eternal relationship. A perfect eternal relationship. A relationship that is so perfect, one of such perfect love, that it can, he can genuinely be said to be one in the truest sense of the word. God is one. But he is also a relationship of persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is through that perfect, loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that creation was made. Creation is an overflow of the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But on the day that we now call Good Friday, Jesus felt like that love that he had experienced eternally, the perfect love that he had known since before creation, had left him. He didn't feel like he was with God anymore. He felt abandoned. He felt rejected. He felt like he had been left to suffer this pain and humiliation and injustice alone. Most of us, at some point, in our lives will experience the pain of a broken relationship. It could be a broken marriage, broken friendship, estrangement in our families. And the closer that a relationship is, the more painful that brokenness is. Or the closer that a relationship had once been, the more painful uh, that the loss of it is. That's why divorce is one of the most stressful things that a human being can experience. And on Good Friday, Jesus had the experience of losing the most perfect and the most intimate relationship that has ever existed. I think we can only begin to imagine the extent of that pain. And yet, we call this Good Friday. Good Friday. You know, why not Terrible Friday? Why not Horrifying Friday? Why not unspeakably awful Friday. The reason is because of what Good Friday reveals to us about God, about who God is. Now, all of us want to know, well, first we want to know, is there a God? And then the second question is, well, if there's a God, what is God like? Right? And Good Friday tells us so much about what God is like. Because the scriptures tell us that if we want to know what God is like, we cannot do better than looking at Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. 
the exact representation of his, his being. So if we want to know what God is like, the best that we can do is by looking at the revelation that comes through the person of Jesus Christ, through the character of Jesus Christ. And on Good Friday, when we look at Jesus Christ, what do we see? Well, we see someone who suffers tremendously, right? Which is not a quality that people commonly associate with God, suffering. So we see that God is willing to suffer, and and that's significant. But if that was all that Good Friday was, it wouldn't be very good, right? The reason it's good is not because God suffers, but because of why God suffers. See, he doesn't suffer because he's powerless. In fact, Jesus says at one point in the Passion narrative that at any moment he could call upon a legion of angels to come and defend him. At any moment he could do that. But he doesn't do that. Not even when he's suffocating on the cross and people are hurling insults at him, even then he restrains himself. It's the most remarkable act of restraint in the, the history of the universe for sure. Even then, he stays on the cross. Even then, he keeps suffering. Why? The reason he suffers is not because he has no other choice. The reason he suffers is because he loves us. The reason he stays is because he loves us. See, Jesus knows that in order for us to have eternal life, he must die. And what makes Good Friday, so, so good, is that it shows just how much God wants us to live. He wants us to live so much that he's willing to endure unbelievable pain and suffering and abandonment. Now, you might wonder, if you're like me, well, how is it that Jesus dying makes it so that I can live? How does that work? And I remember for a long time I struggled with that, and I, I asked a friend about it once. I was like, I still don't know if I get it. And he said something like, well, every morning, you know, I use my coffee maker, and I get coffee out of it, and I'm not sure how it works, but it does. I don't, ha- I don't need to know exactly how it works in order to receive its benefits. <laughs> and that's true when it comes to the cross. We don't have to fully understand what's going on in order to receive the benefits that Jesus is offering. Um, There's always going to be a bit of a mystery in understanding how Jesus' death brings us life. But there are ways that we can start to grasp it. Um, But we have to recognize that when Jesus dies, something is happening in the spiritual realm that we can only talk about through metaphor. And metaphors are always imperfect. They help us to understand, but they're not exactly the real thing. It's, it's a way of saying, it's like this. But one metaphor that scripture uses that I think is helpful is this idea of paying a ransom. Uh, Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom. And so the best way to think about it is that all of us are held captive in our lives in some way. Uh, all of us are, are held captive to the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of the devil. And these forces are like a cage that we're stuck in, a cage that robs us of life and that limits us and that eventually destroys us. 
And there's a ransom that can set us free from being in this, this cage, this prison. But the ransom is so high that we can never pay it. No human being can ever pay it. We might think that we can pay it by being good enough, but we can never be good enough. The ransom is just too high. But on Good Friday, God paid the ransom. Because what he did was he offered the most valuable thing that there is. The life of his son. His own life. The life of Jesus Christ. The perfect, sinless life of the Son of God. Nothing was more valuable and nothing else could pay our ransom. So why is Good Friday so good? Because on Good Friday, God showed us that he is willing to give everything in order to rescue us from our prisons. And that is what he did through Jesus. Lord, it is so hard for us to to grasp the weightiness, the significance of the cross and of what happened on that Friday uh, over 2,000 years ago. But Lord, I pray that tonight we would catch a glimpse of it, that we would feel the significance of it, Lord, that we would recognize what you gave and what an incredible expression of love that is. And Lord, I pray that we be changed by that. I pray that we be transformed by it. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.